Welcome to How to Live Podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd, a series to help us see who we are made to be so we can do what we are made to do. Hello, this is Dr. Chip Dodd. Welcome to the How to Live Podcast Uncut. Thank you for listening. By the way, if you receive any kind of benefits for your lives related to these podcasts, please uh, take the time to share them with others or recommend them to others so they can receive the same things that you are. I am so grateful to get to do them, um, even even within the context of some you know, real um, technological um, deficiencies. I still believe the substance of, of what we're doing together is greater than and can even overcome some of these deficiencies until otherwise indicated. Um, also, I, I want to recommend that maybe uh, sometime after the podcast, you uh, pick up a song uh, somewhere uh, called the Young uh, by a group called the Young Bloods. The name of the song is Get Together from 1967, and it's a throwback to almost certainly 90% of the people who were listening in terms of way before they were born. The song is from the uh, 1900s. <laughs> so, But today I want to talk to you about empathy and the heart of us and how what happens if we don't develop empathy, don't support each other's empathy, what happens is that the hurt we defend against becomes the hurt for other people, and the hurt we defend against becomes our own isolation and removal from how we're made and what we're made to do. But what is it that makes facing and knowing our hearts so vital? The heart is actually the record keeper of our life's emotional and spiritual experiences. The heart is actually our experiential memory. What most emotionally affects us, we wish to keep or lose. What most emotionally affects us, we remember or wish to forget. Either way, it's in us. And either we deal with it as something that can be healed, or we share it as something we wish others to know, or we share it from the context of expressing our needs so that we can, um, frankly put, uh, encourage each other to be stronger than we are in our own isolation. Out of the heart, we remain compassionate and generous. We also remain truthful and confessional. Confessional meaning that we're capable of bidding the human experience, whether for good or for ill, for the best or even for uh, the worst. It It is the territory out of which we remain humble and out of which we celebrate. By facing and knowing our hearts, we can even make some very painful and difficult decisions, like even knowing when to Uh, let go with love and grieve, or or facing the great need to make reconciliation with others through forgiving or even seeking to be forgiven for the harms we've done. That sensitivity to the heart, that empathy for ourselves and others allows uh, extraordinary connection, which is exactly, if you've listened to other podcasts, exactly what I talk so much about, that we are created actually as emotional and spiritual creatures created by God to live fully, but we can't do so unless we're, we're living fully in relationship with ourselves, with others, and with God. But by facing and knowing our own emotional and spiritual makeup, 
we can deeply identify ourselves as human. We're not gods and we're not beasts. We're not trying to claim powers we do not have, and we're not having to devolve into conniving cannibals. Through the wounds we do not face, the wounds we do not face, and for the wounds we don't receive healing, we tend to roller coaster between the defensive extremes of attempting to be gods and finally giving up and just reducing ourselves to beasts. This reconciliation that we can have with ourselves, others, and God doesn't allow us to just settle, but it does allow us to settle into being able to concentrate on living. And a great help in being uh, fully human is to have the blessing of empathy. Empathy is what opens the door to being alive, and it's often the very place that we run from. It's the door we run from experiencing. Empathy allows us to even feel our own lives, which puts us in the context of what others live also. By knowing ourselves as human, and that means great dreamers who have very real emotional and spiritual needs of each other and God, we face ourselves and we face, we face others as being like us. If I lose a loved one or even a valued place, the human response is grief. If I can grieve, meaning have the tears of my own sadness and even the anger of the loss, I can probably care about another who experiences life's losses. For example, regardless of what country you may be from, uh, even if you're uh, an enemy of somebody in another country, regardless of your ethnicity, even your religious background, when a mother uh, is weeping at the gravesite of their own child, mothers all around the world, regardless of context, unless they have become so hard hardened against their own humanity, cannot help but identify with the pain of that other mother. So empathy, you can see from that example, allows us to be in a position of caring, compassion, even um, wishing to do something about it, even arouses us to service of those who are in loss. Simply put, empathy allows us to be able to relate in other words, it sets us up to be able to live in relationship, which is what where, where relationship comes from, the capacity to relate. I can be in relationship with the other through empathy. I can share in their experience. I can even meet another person at their point of need as I myself was met, as I can identify the need to be met. If I hurt and I can confess it, I can relate to another's hurt. If I know loneliness and feel it, I will be able to see other uh, see others who may suffer likewise, and I can offer fellowship. If I know joy, I can even delight in the excitement of another's joy. Empathy, of course, is a mixed blessing. It means that I can relate to you because I have a feeling record, an experiential memory of my own life. It requires that we remember our lives emotionally and spiritually. We have an emotional and spiritual record of having lived our lives as humans in need of relationship through empathy. We have a story of relating to loss and joy. We have a story relating to the discouragement and the perseverance of hope, and sometimes how difficult it was to cling to at moments of despair. We, by, by, by knowing how human I am, I, I can recognize myself in your face. Empathy is the blessing that allows us to be in fellowship, or in other words, to be able to participate ownership of fellows. 
in a, in a great ocean of living. But if a person doesn't end up developing the capacity for empathy, they are people who, who began their decline from that capacity through hurt, mostly. And if they don't deal with their hurt, as I mentioned earlier, what happens is that hurt becomes stored and defended against being exposed. And that hurt winds up becoming a judgment against everyone eventually. So hurt people wind up hurting people. We hope that you are benefiting from this podcast. If you are interested in more material from Dr. Dodd, please go to chipdodd.com or Sage Hill Podcasts. Thank you for listening. We now return to the rest of the podcast. When people get hurt in relationship and they do not receive healing from the wounds, they end up having a, a logical and defensible tendency to become protective against more pain. Very understandable. A wound that does not receive attention, though, it remains sensitive. A person becomes wary of being relationally cut again. The younger a person is when unattended hurt begins, the more wary they become of a potential recurrence. The wariness that becomes, that watchfulness, that hypervigilance, that becomes defensiveness, becomes common sense to the wounded person. It becomes a, an assumption of what the future is going to be like, even though it's, it's very logical and defensible and understandable. It still ends up being a prediction of the future and a defense against it recurring, the past recurring. But just because it is understandable does not make the consequences for others justifiable. Even to their own person's right to their own revenge is still not justifiable. The defense that protects a person from more hurt can eventually become the defense that damages our own ability to engage in life fully with full-hearted participation. Full-hearted participation, meaning really a willingness to get hurt, is, is what a person is like when they're fully engaged physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually uh, as an act of courage. A good definition of courage is full-hearted participation. People are defended against having to experience hurt again or are removed from the courage that they were even born with. The defenses that protect us can eventually become the very diminishment of our, of our birthplace, the very diminishment of full-hearted participation, which is eventually is the diminishment of courage. The defense of our hearts requires that we wear armor around our hearts or put our hearts in a like a hard-shelled box of protection. If the willpower of protection continues too long, the will to never be hurt again, we end up becoming protected, ironically, against receiving and trusting the love we actually need. It stops what, we, what we're made to have. And tragically, our lack of vulnerability can hurt the very people we actually wish to love. In other words, hurt people hurt people. To stop hurting others because of our own defensiveness, we must push through our protection against hurt so that we can love again. And by, by being having the capacity to love again, we can wind up stopping the damage that this will to never be hurt again causes. I have, I have seen and I have experienced myself 
four forms of what we can call justifiable protection that eventually um, harms everyone uh, we would love or, or anyone that we would who would love us. Awareness of our defensiveness and admission of our defensiveness can be the first movements of returning to full life again. It allows us to become able to regain empathy, and it allows us to join in the fellowship with others whose life uh, is, is tough, lives are difficult, but no longer are we alone in the struggle. The first thing that I've noticed over the years is that we defend ourselves from pain, the pain of, of living, the pain of connection, the pain of what we're made to have through resignation. A person who survives in resignation has resigned. They've turned in their resignation. They've resigned from the experience of living fully by saying, I will not be bothered by life. I won't let it affect me. These people practice being removed emotionally or they keep themselves from caring too much. They're always practicing not getting, not letting their hearts get involved or entangled in, in the experience of living. They practice the philosophy of false acceptance that, that precludes the tough grief work that comes with caring. They, 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 a lot of people mistake resignation for acceptance. Acceptance is purchased through pain. Resignation is what we do to try to remove ourselves from having to experience what life calls us to if we're going to love or be loved. Essentially, a person who's resigned, they say that life is like a crap sandwich. Either I eat it or starve, or you eat it or starve. Another way of saying the same thing about life being a crap sandwich is that like it is what it is. A very common expression that I hear quite a bit is it is what it is, which means I'm resigned to having to tolerate this terrible, terrible experience called living and there's nothing that can be done about it. That's resignation, not acceptance. That, that it, it is what it is translates into a person blocking the experience of the feelings that come with life occurring the way it does for everyone. So resignation is one of the, the, the things that I find to be most common over the 35 years of working in the world of addiction and, and redemption uh, of uh, coming back to life and even in the experience of people never making it. The second thing I've noticed over the years is that we defend ourselves from pain through defiance. People who protect themselves through defiance are, are willfully dedicated to reject their own neediness of others with, I will not be in need. It's like a fist up against the world and the world happens to be others because others are who we need to be able to find full life. People who are defiant have a fist clenched against anyone who could put them in a position of admitting their own vulnerability. They become withdrawn, silent, or more aggressive by trying harder or being more determined uh, when they're, whenever they're threatened by what they perceive as anything that robs them of self-sufficiency. Uh, people who are defiant, they, they have contempt towards their own vulnerability that needs arouse. And therefore, they also have contempt toward those, those people who would render them vulnerable. Well, that means wives and children. That means friends. That means um, uh, co-workers. That means uh, a person who is in leadership cannot even hear from the people who are there to help them fulfill tasks. The tragedy is that love can only be experienced through our capacity to be vulnerable and through accepting the vulnerability of another. So defiance isolates. Number three thing that I've, I've recognized over time 
Uh, and, and when I say time, I mean invested time where my heart was fully participating in the mission that I had been fortunate enough to be given uh, to get to work in this field that I do. Number three is that we defend ourselves from pain through compromise. And compromise, when I'm talking about relationship, true love relationship, uh, is not about compromise. Compromise has to do with business. Love is ultimately an uncompromising experience. The defense of compromise communicates the following. I will give myself to emotional risk based on the amount of the risk you take. It's always about cutting a deal. While it seems logical at first, compromise in a relationship is a form of demanding that the other person has to prove herself or himself over and over again. And no matter what, for hurt people, it's never enough. The other person has the experience of being able to do enough. I will give 50% if you will give 50%. But it never ends up adding up to 100% for people who are blocked against risk. Although that process, like I say earlier, may work in business, 50-50, 60-40, it's destructive to loving relationships. Healthy relationships require that a person be 100% emotionally involved with the very daring hope that the other person will also join. So they've laid themselves out. They're taking the risk of being vulnerable. And you can't take the risk of, of, of vulnerability truly unless you also have the capacity for emotional resilience, which is what vulnerability grows, which is what empathy ends up uh, bringing to us because people can't be empathic continuously, consistently, unless they have someone to turn to who cares about them. So empathy actually opens the door to caring and caring allows us to be able to tolerate the experience of pain with others, which allows us to develop emotional resilience through the first uh, start starting point of emotional uh, vulnerability. The fourth thing that I've noticed, and I'll summarize all four of them if anybody is, is taking notes, but um, the fourth thing that is actually pretty rare, the fourth defense that I've, I've seen over the years is uh, cowardice. The defense of cowardice is a willful and very, very powerful determined concentration on never having to experience the vulnerability of being human. Um, uh, it, it's, it's an attempt to eradicate human pain completely by saying, saying, I will never and I will do what, excuse me, I will do whatever it takes to block myself from being exposed as vulnerable, as feeling, as needing, even as longing, uh, which renders me hungering for something I, I don't have, even hope itself. This form of refusal of one's own vulnerability is, as I mentioned, the most powerful defense a hurt person can conjure up. It requires that every situation be experienced as a threat. Cowardice eradicates the possibility of love because the defensive position is a commitment to seek the advantage at all times, no matter what the circumstance. Cowardice walks in judgment of everyone, as the other defenses do too, but this is the most profound. Cowardice leaves no room on any level for relational attachment and only leaves room for using people, people or objects. The hurt the coward never healed or never heals, it becomes a position of vengeance against everyone. But fortunately, most of us do not have the willpower 
to achieve this most dangerous form of refusal, thank God. We still remain hungry for connection to others, no matter how hurt we are, though, and no matter where our hurt came from. Most of us have the ironic good fortune of knowing that we are hurting. We have not been able to conjure up full-blown willpower to block ourselves from needing to be cared about or from caring about others. Nevertheless, the, the other three defenses of resignation, defiance, and compromise can create great pain in others who would love us. And the, like I say, the, I said I would repeat, the four uh, main defenses I've seen, sort of like dispositions that people who are determined not to ever have to experience hurt. And I won't go into it today, but there is a big difference between harm and hurt. We need to have boundaries with other people, and we don't need to leave ourselves open to harmful people. But at the same time, love's going to require that we're going to experience hurt. In fact, the moment you uh, you bring a child into the world and and dare to love that child, you've signed a contract of pain that you are going to hurt. You're going to have sadness. You're going to have loneliness, all related to the experiences that child you love. The solution to these defenses, rather than being willpower, um, is willingness. With the willingness is expressed in the courage to become vulnerable again. It requires that we return to our, our original inborn hopes, our original inborn courage. So we were born hoping and we were born with courage, even though we didn't even know the experience of the world. If anybody's listened to the other podcasts related to the Apgar, for example, courage is inherent, full-hearted participation, the hunger to reach out and connect with everything I'm made to receive and have to live, live a full life. And um, when you do also return to your original hopes and, and your original courage, you're also returning to the origin of your defensiveness and that which you dreaded experiencing the origin of your pain. By becoming aware of our defensive stances and admitting their origins and acknowledging our need for change, we can take the steps we need to heal. The process of change through admission can let us be loved again, and that will end up letting us love again. When we experience being loved again, it arouses how we're born to experience life, which is through connection. And empathy is the connecting origin, the connecting attitude, even the connecting disposition that we're created to grow into if we do let ourselves experience love. Most importantly, though, um, this process uh, lets us become willing to hurt again, and love hurts. Those people who rediscover that love is worth the pain also find that they hurt far fewer people along the way to living fully again because they can love deeply again. So hurt people hurt people because they won't do the hard work of the, taking the risk of, of returning to what happened by admitting the struggle, by facing the defeats, by reawakening to needs and rejoining the uh, fellowship that empathy allows. Well, anyway, thank you for uh, listening today. I hope that uh, you receive some benefit from these podcasts. They, um, a lot of the material that I share is hard won. And um, I've also gotten to see some extraordinary courageous people prove the things I'm sharing come true over, uh, over many years. So God bless you. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks. Thanks.